Hello, I'm John Dennis. It's Friday the 12th of March. Today, a special podcast focusing on plans announced by the Transport Secretary, Lord Adonis, for a high-speed rail network. The journey time from London to the West Midlands would be reduced to between 30 and 50 minutes with Manchester, Leeds and Sheffield all brought to within 75 minutes of London. Transport historian Christian Walmart gives his assessment. I think their Tories idea is completely off the wall. It makes no sense whatsoever. You know, why go to Leeds after Manchester? Well, it will cost £30 billion and it will eventually be extended to Northern England and Scotland. We'll hear the view from the Chilterns, where the high-speed railway line will rip through beautiful countryside. I don't see that as being a, a huge problem. We have got lots of fields around. Here. <laughs> there is lots of greenery and yes. there's, there's quite a lot of um, nimbyism as well. Joining me to discuss high-speed rail are Norman Baker, Lib Dem Transport Spokesman, and The Guardian's columnist Julian Glover. But before we hear from our panellists, let's hear how the Transport Secretary, Lord Adonis, announced the proposed route, which was drawn up by the government-owned company HS2. Our preliminary assessment, published last January, was that substantial additional transport capacity would be needed from the 2020s between our major cities, starting with London to the West Midlands, Britain's two largest conurbations. By then, the West Coast Main Line will be full, and there will also be significant increase in traffic and congestion on the motorways between and around London, Birmingham and Manchester. The government takes the view that high-speed rail is preferable both to new intercity motorways and to major expansion of domestic aviation, even if these were able to deliver equivalent intercity capacity and connectivity benefits. Finally, HS2 Limited assessed that all these benefits far outweigh the estimated costs. With the project yielding more than £2 of benefit for every £1 of cost, HS2 Limited estimates the capital cost of the first 120 miles of the line from London to the West Midlands at between 15.8 and 17.4 billion. The cost per mile beyond Birmingham is then estimated to halve, taking the overall cost of the 335-mile Y-shaped network to about 30 billion pounds. It could help boost the economies of the Midlands and the North in particular, help overcome the historic North-South divide, strengthen the ties that bind Scotland and England, and connecting to the Channel Tunnel and to High Speed One, reinforce our links with the European mainland, where high-speed rail networks already extend from the north of France to the south of Spain and Italy and to the east of Germany. Lord Adonis in the House of Lords yesterday. The route will cut journey times between London and Birmingham from 84 minutes to 49 minutes. From London, Euston, it'll pass through Old Oak Common in West London, where a crossrail interchange will transport passengers to Heathrow Airport. The line will then run through the Chiltern Hills in Buckinghamshire, an area of outstanding natural beauty. Well, the public will be consulted on the proposed route, so what do people think? The Guardian's Peter Walker went to the Chilterns to the picturesque village of Wendover. Well, personally, I'm really all, all in favour of developing the railways, and I think uh, you know if we can uh, maximise the uh, people's use of the railways rather than taking cars to places, uh, I think this is going to be a, a 
tremendous asset to, to the country as a whole. It looks quite possible that it might be going along this side of the A416, which would be right on the edge of the village, right. which would mean quite a lot of disruption. And then when it's built, quite a lot of, of noise from trains. Mm -hmm. And this is a very unspoiled part of the uh, of the world, particularly yeah, given yeah, how close well, it is so to, to London. They have outstanding natural beauty. Would you be opposed to the rail line going, going through? Not there? necessarily, no. Oh, really? No, because, um, well... Um, I think that we've probably more or less got used to the bypass and the noise that comes from the from the bypass and it all depends in which direction the wind is blowing I and I so. find the noise of trains less offensive I mean I'd rather have a train line than a than a bypass quite honestly so you'd almost rather have fewer cars on the road and yes train and, and it would be nice to have a, a fast a, a quicker um, journey time my name is Tony Eccleston and I'm 62 my initial reaction is that on the whole this country is desperately short of high-speed rail communication. I'm yeah. used to uh, seeing these kinds of facilities in Spain, yeah. where I have a house, one's being built near to me, and generally everybody looks forward to it. But at the same time, the adverse effect on this particular area would be quite significant. So I think I'm split. Horrified, yes, it's ruined the whole place, you see. Obviously I'm, I'm a NIMBY of the greatest NIMBY in the world, <laughs> yeah. From guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily. After the consultation process, and if the plans are approved, work will begin in 2017 at the earliest. It'll take another decade for the first stage of the network to be completed. I asked the transport historian Christian Walmar whether we need high-speed rail. It's not really about high-speed rail, it's about capacity. And so the question is, do we need the extra capacity that Lord Adonis says uh, is necessary to meet demand over the next uh, 20 or 30 years? And... I don't have a precise answer to that question, but I think you have to ask yourself, what is going to be the price of energy? Um, and uh, however you travel, um, you're, you're going to need uh, to, to pay for that energy. Um, will, uh, you know, soaring oil prices uh, so put up the cost of travel that it will damp down demand? Um, and also will things like the internet, video conferencing, all that sort of thing, damp down demand, or do we think that there will be an ever-increasing demand to, to travel more and more around the country? Is high-speed rail the most environmentally friendly solution to Britain's transport needs? Well, it's, it's more environmentally friendly than building new motorways, certainly, but um, as the report suggests, um, this will not save any carbon. It will uh, uh, be broadly carbon neutral. So in other words, because it attracts a lot of people of existing railways, uh, which then uh, use up more carbon because faster trains uh, use up more carbon than uh, uh, slower trains. And uh, because it will generate extra travel, um, the, the results are carbon neutral, which, you know, given that this is sold as a green project, environmentally uh, friendly, um, is a pretty poor result. So, uh, you know, there's a big question about uh, uh, the actual green credentials of the whole idea. And what about the route? Do you think it should go closer to Heathrow, as the Conservatives suggest? No, absolutely not. I think the route is, is correct and, and uh, well worked out. I, I've never seen the advantage of, of going to Heathrow. This will have a 10-minute connection to Heathrow from this station at Old Oak Common, uh, Wilson Junction, um, and... Uh, there isn't that much demand to go to Heathrow, so I think it makes great sense uh, 
to go the, the way they, they've suggested with a, a stop at Old Oak Common and then straight through to Birmingham International. What about the proposal from the Tories to extend it to Leeds? Well, well this does go to Leeds. This is a Y-shaped uh, suggestion rather than the L-shaped, upside-down L-shaped of the Tories. And uh, I think the Tories' idea is, is completely off the wall. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, why go to Leeds after Manchester? Nobody is then going to take the train from Leeds that diverts to Manchester, uh, given that you know, the two-hour journey times available from Leeds uh, at the moment anyway. In general, Christian, do you think this um, announcement will herald a new era for Britain's railways? Well, it has to happen. And, and, and then it was not even going to start happening for uh, seven years, and it'll be 16, 17 years before it, uh, any line opens. So, uh, you know, we've got to uh, muddle through with the existing system, and that worries me. I mean, I would like to see that, uh, ensure that there is sustained development in the existing rail network and continued improvement and that we don't put all our eggs in one basket and say, well, we're waiting for the high-speed line, which may or may not happen. Christian Walmar. Joining me to discuss high-speed rail are Norman Baker, Lib Dem transport spokesman, and The Guardian's columnist Julian Glover. Julian, um, you, you wrote earlier this week that this was, well, it could be, the last great act of the Labour government. Well, it's been a quite a revolutionary thing from an administration that looks like it's running out of energy on almost everything else. Uh, Andrew Donis, as transport secretary, has seized the idea of high-speed rail. He's pushed through a really detailed plan for a route. He hasn't just talked about it in general. And he's put it to the House of Commons and really challenging other parties um, who say they back high-speed rail in general to go ahead with the route he puts forward. It, it, it's quite dramatic. Norman, what do you think of this route? Well, the route itself appears to me to be a reasonably good stab at what might be a route that minimises the environmental damage while maximising the opportunity for high-speed rail. Uh, Andrew Donis has been, to be fair to him, pretty cross-party on this. He's tried to involve other parties in a non-confrontational way. I've had access to high-speed two, the company. I've had access to Andrew Donis himself and the briefings, and he's tried to involve us all the way. And it's only disappointing to me that the tours have been so synthetic in their anger towards this matter. But the route itself appears to me to be pretty good. But obviously, quite rightly, it's a matter of public consultation. And Norman, what do you think of the Tory objections to the, this route, saying that it should be extended to Heathrow? Well, the, the Tory objection, they, they say they wanted to go faster and further. I think they want to go slower or perhaps not at all. The, the synthetic candy floss uh, objections which they raised yesterday in the Commons were just beyond belief. As far as Heathrow is concerned, um, I, I believe that the case for Heathrow is quite weak, not, not least of all for the reasons the government gave. If you go via Heathrow, you have a 15-minute um, time penalty from Birmingham, which is a quarter, you know, a, th- a quarter to the third of the journey time, which is significant. In addition to that, you'd have to tunnel under Heathrow, which is very, very expensive. And also, you have to ask um, whereabouts to Heathrow you, you go, given it's a vast complex with three different areas. Julian, uh, do you think that political consensus can be reached on the route? Well, I think the starting point is that there is a consensus between parties that it should happen, and that's important. And to be fair to the Tories, the Lib Dems, I think, first backed high-speed rail, the Tories second, and Labour third. So there's a general idea it should be built. There's also a shared idea that the first bit to be built is to Birmingham from London. So that's a good start. The hard bit is obviously exactly the route. The Tories have got seduced by Heathrow. Um, It's tangled up in their opposition to a third runway. They're trying to offset the guilt of that. They see it to the business community by promising a station. The station they want isn't actually at Heathrow. It's near Heathrow. You still have to change to get a 
shuttle train to the terminals. From Androdonis' proposals, you could also get to Heathrow quite quickly um, on crossrail. So the difference is not so great. The real challenge is, does anybody want to build a line through Buckinghamshire? Well, the Tories aren't going to say they will just before an election. Do you think this is a case of local concerns being um, brushed aside for the sake of national ones? Well, it has to be up to a point. If you want to build a high-speed railway, lots of people aren't going to like it. And in the end, if you do build it, their concerns will be pushed aside. I think there will be a lot of consultation. There could be some adjustments to the route. There can be a lot of mitigation of noise and visual intrusion. It can be buried in places. Um, But in the end, if it's pushed through Parliament by a bill, which is what the two main parties, I don't know what the Lib Dems think of the hybrid bill, but the other parties want it, then local concerns are always going to be heard but not necessarily listened to. Norman, do you think this consultation process is a bit of a sham, really, if it's just going to go through anyway? No, I don't think so. From my discussions with the government, it seems to me they are genuine about consultation, and if there are um, serious objections raised or alternatives put forward which can be made to work, then I think nobody's particularly wedded to this particular line. What I would say is that I think it's right for the government to identify one preferred route rather than four or five, because when it happened with High Speed 1, it caused massive blight in Kent over a wide area unnecessarily. And secondly, I think the High Speed 2 have been looking at this very carefully. They've got some expert people who've been helping them, and the route appears to me to be pretty reasonable. But obviously, if, if alternatives come forward which are better, they should be looked at. So I don't feel... I'm wedded to this particular line, but I'm wedded to the idea this is a first good stab, and we'll see what the public make of it. The other thing I'd say is that the the damage caused by a rail line is much less than the damage caused by a road, and that needs to be borne in mind, both in terms of the emissions, the noise, and the area of land that you take. And it's also the case that the uh, Armageddon that was promised with High Speed 1, if you believe some of the objectors in Kent, of course, never materialised. And I think we can learn from high-speed one, both that the impact is less than might have been thought. And secondly, if there were any adverse impacts, we can learn again to mitigate those in high-speed two. Christian Walmar, the transport historian, says that uh, this this is a carbon-neutral plan. It's it's not necessarily the green option it's being painted to be. It's difficult to know. Uh, The assessment contains a range of predictions for carbon emissions, including a cut and an increase, depending on One of the starting points is where the electricity comes from, and the railway industry can't determine how we make our power. If power comes from carbon-neutral sources, trains are much more carbon-neutral. So there's a starting point there. Of course, in France, Eurostar TGV is pretty carbon-neutral because their power comes from the nuclear industry. Um, The next point is really, is moving people around at high speed in big, heavy trains a particularly green thing to do? Well, it might not be the greenest, but it's probably greener than the alternatives because People are going to move as uh, transport demand keeps increasing. You look at the graphs for road travel, air travel and rail travel, they all go up. If the economy comes back and grows as we hope, transport will be in demand. So something's going to have to do it and rail is better at doing it than almost all the alternatives. Norman, are you satisfied with the uh, environmental credentials of this plan? Well, I certainly agree with uh, Julian's point there that you're going to need more capacity from north to south and if it's not railway, it's roads or it's aviation both of which are much worse in carbon terms. But I also think there's an opportunity to win back, for, uh, win back audiences for rail who have not returned to it um, since the 1950s. A whole batch of the population gave up on rail when British Rail was at its nadir and haven't returned since. I can think of my brother, for example, who hasn't been on a train for years and, and still has his image of, uh, of burnt sandwiches and, 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 and BR guards. It's all changed. So I think the, the modernity of St Pancras 
and high-speed lines can actually win back customs for rail. When people come back to rail, they'll find it's a lot better than last time they travelled. So I think there's an ambassadorial role for this, as well as a simple role in terms of the, the linking of cities between north and south. We should remember one of the possible objections, the cost of it. The danger is that so much money will be eaten up by the high-speed project, as it is by Crossrail in London at the moment. There won't be any money to modernise the rest of the railway. And some people would say it's better to improve the network we've got, not to build a new one. I don't think I don't think they're all either or. I think you've got to do both. And I think what you do have to do, however, is identify clear funding sources to enable both to take place. We're quite clear that the government's identified the continuation of cross-rail funding effectively for high-speed rail. We also think there's a role for the National Infrastructure Bank that Vince Cable's proposed to underpin that. But we also recognise that the improvements in the traditional railway, the classic railway, need to go ahead. And we've said, for example, that money can be released from that from longer franchises. But also we want to, when we make this clear shortly, transfer money from the major roads budget across the rail projects, which have been sadly neglected. And those small-scale projects that mean so much haven't been progressed as they should have been. That's right, though lots of um, voters might be upset to hear roads budgets are being cut at the expense of rail. Well, they might be, but they might be delighted that the rail scheme they've been pushing for the last 20, 30 years is finally going to happen. <laughs> I mean, Norman, the economic benefits of the high-speed rail are not in doubt, are they? No, I don't think so. If you look at if you look at what happened in Spain and France, um, this has been very, very good for economic development in, in the in the regions and often to deprived areas of those countries. And I think we can look at um, the, the the overheated London southeast area spreading some of its. Um, benefit across to Birmingham, to Manchester and to the north. And I think that's good for the country to even that out. There's no doubt it'll be very, very good for Birmingham in particular. And Julian, even the areas that uh, don't directly benefit from this high-speed rail link, do you think they'll be uh, deriving economic benefit from it? Well, I hope they will. And One thing is it won't pay for itself. It may, in general, economic growth pay for itself, but the government will have to put in cash to build the railway that they may not get back in cash straight away. The key thing is to realise this is not a line from London to Birmingham that's being proposed. It's a London line from London to the Midlands, to the cities of the north, to Scotland. And trains will run off even the first stage of the high-speed rail onto conventional lines. There'll be huge growth. Everybody will gain. This isn't just a project for one uh, part of Britain. Norman Baker, do you think it's a, a revolution in Britain's railways? I do. I think it is a revolution, and I think it's very exciting. And having had 30 years of decline on the railways, I think that was arrested by... Uh, Eurostar, which actually gave people confidence that railways could have a role in the future. The, the development at St Pancras has been a, a fantastic success, and you compare that with um, Terminal 5 at Heathrow, which was, was, wasn't a success. Uh, and then you look at where railways are going, and I think we're now looking potentially for the biggest rail building problem since the Victorian era, and good thing too. Norman Baker, Julian Glover, many thanks for talking to us. Today's podcast was produced by Andy Duckworth. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.